0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pros, when the job demands more of the supplies you use most, start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, we stock the right quantities you need for any size job. And at everyday savings, like up to 30% off drywall, drywall accessories, and insulation every day when you buy in bulk. Order at Lowe'sforPros.com and we'll have your order ready for pickup with dedicated pro loaders to get you loaded up and back to the job site faster. For your next job, and the next, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's.
1: The Gator Nation football podcast, powered by Campus Insiders with your hosts Alan Williams and James Di This place is an insane asylum in
2: this place! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, Gator Nation, to the podcast. My name is Alan Williams. We got James DiVergilio right here next to me. Glad to be back. How you feeling, James?
1: I'm feeling good. It feels a little weird to be sitting back in front of the microphone here in the studio, but at the same time it
2: feels it feels great to be just right on the precipice of talking some Gator football. Yeah, let's do it. Well, we got to go to the spring game last Friday and a special privilege for me because I was a guest of the illustrious James D. Virgilio who won the Outstanding Young Alumni Award. So we got to watch the game from the president suite, super swanky, great food, up in the box, it was quite a treat. James, thanks for bringing me along. I appreciate that. And congratulations, by the way. Hey, thank you. It was it was fun
1: because we ate a ton of food. I don't know how many times we lapped the ice cream bar yeah, or too the many. cookie bar or soft pretzel bar or the macaroni and cheese balls there. If you ever get a chance to go in the President's box, the macaroni and cheese balls, I don't, I don't know I don't what swirl. was going on with those things, but first rate for sure. So we, we caught the game from up there, and then of course for the first time in my lifetime, I actually re-watched a spring game on my DVR to make sure I caught every single play so I could get everyone caught up with what my what my thoughts are. And I know Alan did
2: the same thing. So that was certainly yeah, a first, first time for me. And I will say, you know what? It was really nice watching the spring game up from the presence box. But for all us who are normally not in the box, I wouldn't want to watch a big game from up there. It's too like sealed off, too removed. You don't get the stadium atmosphere. So you're not missing too much for a real game. Don't worry, folks. So let's shift gears from the glories of the president's box and talk a little bit about what
1: actually went on on the field. So we're going to start this podcast by going through the spring game itself, then zooming out a little bit to talk about our overall impressions of all of spring practice the spring game, obviously, is the, the coronation and the culmination of all the, all the practices. But in, in reality, there's more than just what happened on the field. So we'll kind of go down whether or not the performances were sustainable, maybe somewhere a little bit higher or lower than they could have been or should have been. And then kind of give you some analysis on what we think we can take from this game that will actually translate into the fall as opposed to just being sort of a spring game, which a lot of times you can just take it or leave it. So, Alan, with that, let's let's do it in the the simplest way we know how. Let's start with the the position groups, and let's start with the one that I think a lot of people are really interested in watching for the first time, also maybe ever, which would be the kicker.
2: Yeah, kicker so, Eddie. Eddie Pinero
1: out there. What do you, what do you think? What were you what were you feeling? How was it? How was it to watch a kicker out there banging some
2: some balls through the uprights? I don't think I've seen a bigger cheer or satisfaction, you know, from people for made extra points. So that was pretty fun to be. Uh, kind of in the middle of that when he nailed some huge kicks, He missed some too, but I mean, every college kicker for sure is going to be missing. You're going to go every other on 50 yarders, but really cool to have that kind of weapon on our team, which is the exact opposite. You know, we're almost dead last in field goals and also almost dead last. I think dead last actually an extra point percentage. What about you? How would you feel about watching Eddie out there? Yeah, he looks he looks solid. He finished three for five, which those numbers don't mean
1: anything. The rush is not live. They're not trying to block the kick. It's the first time I know he put his pads on. McElwain made a comment about that on television. He was just happy that Panera was able to buckle his helmet correctly and kind of get out there. Um, his his motion is a little unorthodox. He's got a sort of a a, a right to left kind of like almost like if you think about golf, if you draw the ball, it's got a little right to left action. A little bit of a violent swing in, in the body, especially when he's doing kickoffs. I mean, I'm guessing they'll work with him to clean that up because it's probably a little bit of that extra motion that caused him to maybe push some of those balls wide, right? Because he certainly has a consistently big leg. He hits yeah. a sweet spot a lot. So I feel good there with regards to his leg. His misses were small, uh, and obviously you can't know anything about a kicker until he goes into the season and misses an actual big kick, and then you watch how he responds. That's, that's what place kicking is all about.
2: And we want to, again all this would maybe say this a couple times caveat here that this is a spring game. You got to be careful about what you take away from it. And even the way they set it up was interesting. You know, they had all of the first teamers on both offense and defense on the blue side. So thus the lopsided score. And so you would see the first team going against the second team defense and the you know first team defense going against second team offense. So take that into account as we're talking about the performances here and, and put that into context. Uh, but let's maybe jump into the most high-profile, other than, of course, our kicker, most high-profile position group, and that would be the quarterbacks. So that's the been the big off-season storyline with, you know, Wilger transferring and Trion Harris either suspended or being moved. We're not sure exactly how that will clear up, but we'll have a new starter. It'll be one of these four guys. So uh, let's walk through each one. Uh, seemingly, though, the big storyline today was uh, Luke Del Rio's performance. Why don't you give me your thoughts
1: on him? Yeah, he had a great performance. He spent the whole day with the blue team, which was certainly helpful to him. Uh, like you mentioned there at the top, the, which team you were playing on in this game had a lot to do with your performance, uh, essentially because the, the offensive line of the orange team was just a, a, a sieve. And so, no matter who was behind there, they were having a rough time having any time to really throw the ball downfield. But I thought I thought Del Rio did a really nice job. I thought he threw the ball from several different arm angles, which is really impressive. You like to see that. He threw screen passes with sort of a sidearm motion. He threw a few balls over the top of a rusher on a screen pass. He was able to throw the ball quickly on a seam route. Uh, you know, he displayed good footwork. His head was always downfield. He seems to really understand the offense. Yeah, decisive. He, very decisive. So, to me, he doesn't have... The, the to use Trent Dilford's word, the arm talent of a Will Greer. The ball does not come out as quickly. His throwing motion is not as fluid. However, he certainly has the cerebral aspect of the game. He did, half of his throws were certainly, they were picking on inferior players. I mean, he yeah. had a couple matchups there where he had Goolsby coming out of the backfield against a defensive end that's a third stringer. He also, a linebacker. he also picked on a walk-on linebacker twice. So it's a little bit of a grain of salt there because he can kind of look at the snap look at the field pre-snap, and know, based upon what they're doing, he has a one-on-one matchup with his slot receiver versus a walk-on linebacker. But the fact that he recognizes that is maybe the key. But that's the thing. In a spring game, like we said, you can't overanalyze this stuff. What you can do is you can look at footwork, you can look at decision-making, you can look at poise, and he made a really nice decision to throw the ball away. The one time things did not go well for him. He had a rush right in his face, and instantaneously he knew exactly where he could throw the ball away. He did it without hesitation, which shows that he really understands what his read progressions are, and and what his moves need to be. So I thought overall, uh, as a as a looking as a Gator fan is, what are our quarterbacks going to be like? How are they going to play? Luke Del Rio hit every notch you could want. I mean, he couldn't have really looked any better given what we knew about him coming into it. He exceeded all of those things. I'm sure that McIlwain is really really thrilled with that kind of performance. He could from what we see, at least be average. And with an average quarterback with our returning defense, we could be very, very dangerous in the SEC East. And that, and, that, and hopefully he can be
2: more than that. But even at that level, it sets up well. So, I mean, McElwain his introductory press conference talked about being able to win with his dog at quarterback. I think this goes to show that a little bit, and that's maybe not the best reflection on, like, you know, the level of play that Treon was at. But that you can take a guy like Luke Del Rio, who is a smart, capable kid, you know, doesn't have the all-world size and arm like that you would, Guy, like a guy we'll get to later, Fleepy Franks. But uh, yeah, the, if he has a command of the offense and knows where to go with the ball, we can be successful. Uh, let's talk about another guy who has some experience, but is new to the program, Austin Appleby. What was your impression of him? I Not thought, a lot of
1: action. I, Yeah, I thought Appleby was what you would expect. You know, Purdue, he was 19 touchdowns, 19 picks 55% completion kind of guy. And Purdue didn't have a good offense, so you can't put a ton of stock in those numbers. But he, he's got a strong arm. Uh, His footwork, I think, leaves a little bit to be desired, which you can see out there, and and that gets him into trouble when it's time to make sort of a tight decision. Uh, He had to get bailed out on a a pretty nice, friendly penalty call on the deep ball he threw to Hammond there. But all in all, he did pretty well, given he was under duress almost the whole game on the Orange team. Didn't have a lot of time to throw. Didn't have a lot of separation. Didn't have a lot of guys running open. And I think his presence there achieves exactly what we said we hoped it would when we knew he was coming here which is that he brings a veteran who can push Del Rio. Yes. If you don't have him there, then you've got two guys that are 18 years old and they're on campus for the first time competing for this job. But with Appleby there, he's a competent signal caller. And as he picks up the offense more and more, he can play. So it was positive. What I saw from him was positive. I, I don't think his ceiling right now, based on the spring game, looks to be incredibly high. But at the same point in time, you can't base anything off the spring game. Yeah. So I thought, like I said, his arm his arm talent solid. I think you make a lot of different throws. It just looks like, to me, uh, maybe some of the ways he's going to the offense right now just shows he doesn't have a, a super firm grasp of it. But he could, at the very worst, be a really serviceable backup, even from what we've seen already. And that's, I think, what McIlwain was hoping for, was a guy that for could sure. compete with veteran savvy.
2: Competition, like you said, a guy who's capable of, if Del Rio has to miss a snap or a game, that the you know bottom doesn't fall out of the offense. So I, I was encouraged as well. I thought... You know, this is, I, I don't know, maybe I thought there was a chance he would come out there and light it up and maybe just get him out of Purdue and into this office. He's going to be incredible. But that wasn't really the case. He was kind of more mediocre, and that was fine for what we wanted now. Mm-hmm. Uh Let's go to maybe, other than Del Rio, maybe the headline player of this game for the opposite reason would be our star recruit, Felipe Franks. Were you really discouraged? He threw three interceptions. Was that a bummer, or is that okay, or what What do we take yeah, from that? Not discouraged at all, because you heard on this very podcast
1: last year, and we were talking about the fact that we landed him, that we had to have Del Rio, and then we got Appleby, Appleby play, because Franks was incredibly raw. You know, I know we did several uh, segments on that. You can see from his high school tape, and obviously the scouting reports on him were all that. The guy's really, really raw, a lot of talent. He's also really, really young. Again, you have to think. You have to put your mindset into what you were like when you were a senior in high school. This is your senior high school spring. Most of us were skipping class and hanging out, waiting to go to college. These guys are here playing against grown men. It's a whole different level. And I think that Frank's... The one thing that does concern me about Frank's and that will continue to concern me is he has a really long delivery. Very much like a center fielder in baseball with his throw. It is a circular windup. And he's got a really, really strong arm, but... I'm not so sure how well it's going to translate, and I'm not sure how they're going to work with him on that. But all in all, you can take what he did in the spring game and throw it out. It doesn't mean anything. He played on a team where he had no time. He rushed his throws. He stared down his first receivers, and he's going up against a cornerback group that's exceptional, and they were just jumping all of his first reasons They knew right where he's going. Yeah, they knew he liked to throw the slant. They're jumping the slant. I mean, this is a not really fair situation for Felipe Frank. So I wouldn't put any stock into what he did. It doesn't mean anything at all, other than that he's really young. He's used to throwing the ball, so he forced balls. He was uncomfortable. He just timing is off. I
2: mean, the things that you would expect. Yeah. And I was glad that the coaches got him back out there with actually the first team offense. And you saw a couple of throws. He made a throw that was actually dropped, I think by Sionte Lewis, really nice throw down the sideline. A a throw that's open in this office that we saw Will Greer start to make, you know, last season. And you're like, okay, he can do some stuff. I mean, he's nowhere near being ready to play. That was very obvious. Uh, But yeah, like you said, I, I don't write him off. For sure, the kid has a ton of talent and a ton of potential. And let me bring us to our, I don't know, maybe most intriguing member of this little quarterback foursome, Kyle Trask. Now, Kyle's a guy did not start for his high school team. This was made a lot of in the broadcast, but somehow was on scholarship at the University of Florida. They saw this guy in camp, liked his arm, liked his potential, and you know what? He was intriguing. He looked like a real guy out there. I know you were impressed. I was very impressed. I put him right
1: up there with Luke Del Rio as far as impressive. And Trask's not ready to run the offense yet. But Trask was on the same orange team that Appleby and, obviously, Franks you know, really got devoured by it, struggled with. And he played the whole game on the orange side. And I thought he looked almost perfect. I mean, you look at what he, the throws he made and the times he ran, the times he scrambled. There was not much else he could have done. I mean, he pretty much made the optimal play on every play. Uh, and and that was really impressive. But most of all, there were two or three throws he threw in there that were really
2: Mm high-level, especially for a guy who's been a backup his whole life. The one down the seam to, I believe, Alvin Bailey. Colored by Jalen Tabor Mm -hmm. and just put it right on the money. It was perfect. I
1: mean, it's a perfect throw right inside the seam, underneath the safety, and that's a high-level throw. But my favorite throw, actually, was on a little flare-out wide receiver screen. He's got, uh, I believe it was Cox coming in his face, and he measures the extra height to put on that pass lofting it over him and dropping it in and then he also threw a little bit of a deep in route um to i forget who at the end of the game which is the same kind of concept so there's an underneath coverage and he's throwing it an easy three or four yards over their heads dropping it into a bucket before the safety so he's illustrating he can throw the ball hard he can throw the ball with touch he can throw the ball short and this guy again is he's the same thing as sleep frank he's an 18 year old he has no experience either lots of poise good footwork climbs the pocket Of course, he had had his freshman moments as well, but really impressed with him. I mean, I could see why they saw this guy in camp and thought, we need to bring this guy in here. For sure. He's a project, and he could really turn into something. I know his high school coach says they're going to make a 30-for-30 about the high school coach one day for not playing this guy because he's going to be so good. But I was really encouraged. I thought to myself, if I'm ranking the quarterbacks right now, I might be inclined. Of course, Appleby's going to be too, but Trask is like 2A, potentially, with some of the throws he made there. So you go Del Rio... Uh, then you go Appleby Trask very close behind Appleby and then I you know Franks I think far behind all the rest of those guys so
2: very encouraging for me Yeah to see I would that. agree with that and you know I would think certainly say Del Rio and Appleby both get hurt you're going to see Trask in there I I would think and you know what? maybe if Del Rio went out for the year and the coaches were looking forward they might go ahead and play Trask if they feel comfortable enough cuz he just has such a bigger ceiling in terms of time with the program So yeah very impressive Displayed by him, I you know, and great by job by the coaches getting him in here when obviously that was a big risk. Um, yeah, there's a couple other position groups that I thought were interesting. Let me go ahead and jump in there. You know, most notably probably the secondary and linebacker. So, a couple new guys. Well, not totally new. I mean, new starters. Duke Dawson, A couple picks. You know, guy's name in the paper. But he's playing that kind of hybrid um, corner safety nickel spot that we like to play that Marcus May used to play. I think he could do really well there. He's a talented kid. And then Kylan Johnson, you know, big guy who was recruited at safety. They moved him up to linebacker and, you know, had an interception, but also just saw him flash in different places on the field. Uh, and you know what? I think our secondary has a chance to be really, really tremendous again. Even despite the fact that we're going to lose two first-round picks or, you know, top-ten pick in Hargraves and a first- or second-round pick in Keanu Neal, that's saying something so you know, not a lot of depth there. I don't think yet. We'll see what these freshmen look like coming in, but uh, yeah, looked really good on that. Yeah, I thought so. I thought uh, Tabor. It's
1: like he knew the plays before they were coming. I mean, the guy's breaking up screen fields and uh, screen passes in the back. Two picks. He he really was probably responsible for because he ate up the first read, and then Duke was a was a beast. I mean, he was a beast in that role where Marcus May is, and of course, my my favorite player, Marcus May. We'll see. We'll see how he can do at a true safety spot mm-hmm. this year with Duke. Kind of sliding down into that box. So, so the defense was the defense was great with regards to the secondary. What would you think about about linebacker? Obviously, we lose our sort of identity in Morrison. He's kind of the guy, and now you bring in Davis, a guy who people are raving about. Would Would you think about the linebackers? What do you think about the linebackers after the spring? Are we
2: better or worse than we were last year? What are the thoughts? Tough to say. I mean, you're missing some guys. Uh, Alex Anzalone is not playing in this game, and he figures to be like a starter um, alongside Davis. You know, a couple of intriguing young guys. Still pretty thin there, and. Jared Davis, I mean, the focus on him, I think he's a leader from what everything everybody says about him. Played well. I mean, you, he, you're not going to get a lot of highlights from his play on the field. It really shows up when like it goes live and is the defense successful. That's pretty much how you judge him. So, yes, he looked good out there. Uh, the D-line is interesting. A uh, ton of guys out there. And even some guys on the second team, like, man, these guys can do some damage. Guys like uh, Taven Bryan and Jabari Zuniga, like you know, who haven't got a lot of playing time yet could be could be huge for this team down the fall. So yeah, lots of like on the defense side of the ball. Offensive line still looking a little shaky. Missing guys like Martez Ivy. you know, still a long way to go. They're still a very young inexperienced group.
1: Yeah, that's probably gonna be our weakest group. I imagine we're gonna spend a lot of twenty sixteen talking about the offensive line and much like we said at the beginning of last year, we'll need them to be average to be competitive. And they were not average last year. They were one of the worst units in college football. And that, that obviously affected us. So before we talk about the running backs and some others, we're going to switch gears and kind of broaden our scope. Now to talk about the spring practice in general, we think the running backs fit better into this category for a variety of reasons, but we do have a few sources that are able to give us actual practice information. So if you don't know this, all of the practices at Florida are closed uh, under the McElwain era. So any anything you hear in a message board or you read about is either information from someone that's there or someone that saw practice for five minutes because like the first five minutes are open. So there's a lot of conjecture. Or from
2: McElwain's press conference. It's or basically most of the information we have.
1: Yeah, so it's hard to know. So we've got a few really solid sources that we lean on that have given us some insights to sort of back what's going on, what, we think, what do we think is real, what do we think is not real. And Alan, why don't you walk us through a few of those to give us an
2: idea of, of sort of what we're looking at. It'll you know, start with the QBs again, and and I think the headline there is that Del Rio is actually the front runner. wasn't just like he had a nice spring game, but that he is ahead of the pack and he's the guy, and that's a real thing. And that he has a lot of potential, and it you know that showed on Friday night. So that that's not just oh he had a nice game. Ooh, you know I'm not sure he doesn't look that good in practice yet, but that was representative of how he
1: looks in practice. And we're hearing he's a really cerebral quarterback, and that's going to be his number one
2: strength. Right. So he's not a guy, he's not a huge guy, big arm NFL, you know, he's not Andrew Luck, like coming out of college or something, but a guy who can get the job done. And then, you know, the, like we talked about the other side, that Fleepy Franks is not struggling on a daily basis like he did in that spring game, that there are bright spots, that he's not just a total hot mess out there. So that's encouraging, I think, for the future of the program. Uh, and the running backs, very interesting group, losing Kelvin Taylor, uh, you know, a lot of Chances for success. There are a lot of repetitions to be had. So the four guys: Jordan Scarlett, Jordan Conkrite, Mark Thompson, the JUCO guy, uh, and uh, Mark Herndon, former walk-on, nice player, but probably the fourth of the group. Uh, the headline here is that Mark Thompson, a guy who's you know transferring in. He's if you saw him on the field, he's enormous. And the quotes here is that this guy's an absolute stud. That the defense has to scheme around him just to stop him that he could have a really huge season in this offense. He looks tremendous. But then, as we saw in the field, a little bit of a fumbling issue. And if he doesn't get that under control, it could really haunt him. And that little bit of a fumbling issue is sort of like a major fumbling issue
1: right now, right? A lot of frequent fumbles. And Mark himself has said that he's had a really hard time transitioning from Juco to Florida because of how well these guys tripped the ball from him. He's got a long time to fix this. He's a really strong guy, so it's obviously not a strength issue. A lot of it is an awareness technique, issue probably. and technique. And you saw in the game, in the spring game, it was the perfect example of it. He's He gets into the pile. He does the right thing by pushing off the pile and then running left to basically attempt to score a touchdown, except doesn't feel the pressure behind him. guy comes behind and strips the ball. you know, And that's something hopefully he can look at in film and think to himself, I need to always make sure in these goal line situations, red zone situations, when everyone's at the line of scrimmage, that I'm really taking care of the ball, even if I feel like I'm free. And so hopefully he'll use the whole summer to really shore that up. Because if he does, I think
2: could know, be a star. Yeah,
1: our sources are saying this guy really could be legitimately all sec kind of guy, but all
2: four of those guys are really solid. So that's, that's encouraging. Um, a couple more standouts. And this is, you know, maybe from the most obvious headline category, but that Jared Davis and Tabor are just monsters out there and they're making every play on a really, really dynamic and that's showing through in practice um, that Jared Davis' work ethic is like no other, which doesn't surprise me when you hear how people talk about him. A guy on the offense, C.J. Warden, making a lot of plays, maybe picking up where he left off at the end of the spring, You know, catching all those jump ball touchdowns. And he had some nice plays in the spring game, too. So that was probably backs up what we saw there. Yeah, he kind of continues the the little role of the
1: guy that people were excited about, then disappeared, then all of a sudden, oh, look at this guy. Look at this white guy catching a jump ball. And then then in the spring, oh, look at this guy making plays. So he's kind of riding the wave right now. And hopefully that will continue. And we hear that he is actually doing well consistently in practice this year. So that's a good
2: sign, given that we don't really know what's going on with Callaway. And a guy maybe in the disappointing category um, would be Ahmad Fulwood, which he has been disappointing throughout his career. And, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of size, and just not a lot of production. And you know, the opportunity with Callaway not being there in the spring, which we'll get to, um, you know, departure of DeMarcus Robinson and some other guys who graduated, it's like, okay, here's the wide open spot for you to jump in and take the lead and really own this position group, and just really not being able to step into it like the coaches wanted him to. Which doesn't surprise me, I guess, given his lack of production over the years, but it was hopeful. I mean, it still has a chance. It's not, his time at UF is not done, but quickly dwindling down. Yeah, Warren Buffett says that track record is everything
1: when you're doing analysis. You should put a lot of stock in that. And thus far, Fullwood's track record has given us nothing to believe a turnaround's coming. So we're hoping for it. But but that that's sort of the situation. So let's let's talk about the freshmen. There were eleven early enrollees that were involved in this game, which is amazing. I'm pretty sure that's like a Florida record. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so tell me a little
2: bit about what you saw—the good, the bad. Well, yeah, you saw some. You saw them out in the field, and you know the guys who are watching practice say that Chauncey Gardner looks really really special. Kind of a guy who wasn't sure he was going to be a corner or safety. Looks like he's going to play safety for us, and he's already getting time with the ones that he's going to make plays out there. Um, And that, you know, the guys are impressed with our new defensive back coach, the only new hire, Torian Gray, I believe his name is, that he's really coaching these guys up, doing a great job. And then of the freshman receivers, the real freshman, uh, Freddie Swain, that he's going to be the real deal down the line. He's got great hands, great explosion, and he's going to be a real player for us down the road, which is, you know, you never know with these guys, even if they have four stars next to the name, you never know until you get them into camp and see how they're going to do. Uh, And, you know, overall, I think that they're really encouraged and excited about the spring, like could not say enough good things about the direction of the team and where we're at right now, even though the season kind of ended on a bad note that spring practice has been really productive on the day to day. And that's good news.
1: It's important to remember that spring and I feel like I might even be the king of this, like spring practice and the spring game is so meaningless. If we go read everyone else's practice reports right now, everyone's so high on what's going on. But The reality is when you look at our positions of need, kicker and quarterback, like our our biggest positions of need, you could see the results on the field in the spring game. And yes, it's engineered. And yes, in certain ways, it's set up so that one team scores a lot of points. But even then, this is the totally different team than the one that was led by by Treon Harris. More like the team that was led by Will Greer, except it should be better on offense with regards to the weapons that we have, especially if Callaway's in the fold. Now, if we're Sands Callaway, you got a lot of young guys out there, but... So far, uh, you know, the, the people that are practice every day, there's a lot of good vibes. There's a feeling this team can make a lot of noise next year.
2: Yeah, and I think you look at the blue team, you know, looks really good. The starters look good. And then even the second-team defense, a lot of notable guys, and the guys are going to get playing time. And you look at that second-team offense, and you're like, eee. You know, offensive line, receivers, just a lot of question marks there. So neither – You know, defense could probably stand to lose guys at positions through injury. there's injuries along the offense, at the receiver or at tight end or at offensive line, like could really, really struggle. So that's one of my big takeaways. Um, Let's jump in and maybe talk about a few newsworthy things that have happened since we, you know, last podcasted. One is that it's become official that Will Greer is transferring to West Virginia. James, thoughts about that move for him? Does that feel like a good decision? I can't think of a better place for him to go. Really, I can't. I think that
1: he's got to be hopeful that he can come back in 2017. No one knows yet whether or not the NCAA would potentially rule longer. I don't think they would in this scenario. They could. But if he can come back, then he's in an offense that's going to throw the ball 55 times. It's an offense that's gotten a quarterback drafted in the first round. Uh, Dana Hogan has done that before. So I, I think it's a wise choice. I think for a guy of Will's talents, he could be extremely dangerous. In that system, assuming everything stays well, and of interesting note, the story that he told West Virginia, which is that he tested positive for a over the counter substance, which everyone presumes, including myself, is ligandrol, that they they bought it and they think that's what it was. Even and, though
2: you and, have weirdly denied that it was ligandrol right, in the heat of the moment.
1: Still weirdly denying it yet again, you know, ligandrol, I feel like it's what it was. And, and that's a very interesting story in and of itself, but seems like such a harmless sort of thing to have all this, this stuff go on with given the innocent mistake. But I'm sure a lot of Gator fans will follow him either because they're super angry at him or they'll follow him because it's an interesting story. But I I do think he wound up at a good spot for him. Yeah,
2: interesting place for him. I mean, that offense under Dana Holgerson with the right you know, kind of guy at the helm has put up a lot of points and been really productive. And I think quick decisions, getting the ball, the things that Will Greer is good at, I think will translate into that system and could have a ton of success in that wide open Big 12 where they don't always play a lot of defense. So you could see him if he makes it back on the field and keeps his head on straight could put up a ton of points.
1: Yeah, and I think it was the right decision because from what I heard the second choice was Ohio State, which is a head scratcher for a variety of reasons. But yeah, that was not a good fit. that was where he was leaning towards and of course he really wanted to play at South Carolina with Will Muschamp, but I'm pretty sure that uh, McElwain and the boys said you can't transfer, you can't transfer there. So, inside
2: the I mean that's pretty standard even mm-hmm. though I have some questions about like transfer restrictions you know and i'm not always agreeing with how that operates that's pretty standard to to not allow people to transfer with especially within your own division within the conference yeah and being a slipping a baltimore Oriole reference here since the
1: o's are on a roll to start the season you know, playing baseball in the al east where players just switch teams every single year is really frustrating so at least i'm happy that if he's going somewhere he's going somewhere where it won't directly affect us but you know hopefully we'll see what he can do obviously our, our best to him and
2: uh, we'll follow his career you know here on the podcast Okay, another big storyline that's hard to have a lot of information about, and maybe we'll just say that there's not a lot of information, is that if you weren't aware that Treon Harris and Antonio Callaway suspended for the spring, uh, what do we know about that? And is that consequential for the team? What do you think?
1: I've heard I've heard rumors that it's as severe as both of them being expelled from school. More, more recently, I've heard that Treon's not going to be the one that gets in trouble, but that Callaway could be expelled from school because it's really more of his deal. But all of this stuff is being dealt with by the Dean of Students. It is not a law enforcement issue. It is a U.S. Student Code of Conduct issue. So there's essentially a tribunal of I'm not sure how many uh, people on it, but it's a panel that decides their fate and it's in their hands and they move when they want and they meet when they want and they decide when they want. So that's why no one really knows what this timetable is. But. Depending on what rumor you believe, it's, oh, they'll be reinstated by fall or they'll be gone. And and obviously losing Treon at this stage would probably not affect the team really much at all, if at all. But losing Callaway would be a tremendous blow. He's our most productive player returning on the offensive side of the ball. To lose him over this would be would be tough. However, of course if the allegations are true and if he did what he did and he's banned because of conduct that was detrimental to the team, then, you know, he should be, it's, that's it's not something we can comment there other than to say that if what he did is true and he's gone, it will certainly affect the football team.
2: How about him missing the spring? Does that damage things for the team or does that not matter at all? I and mean,
1: it's hard to know, but. Cool, yeah, I think. I think in general it, it it messes with a lot because he has no chemistry with any of the new quarterbacks, none. And so if he comes in in the fall, he's talented enough that he'll easily be the best receiver there, and he'll pick it up. That's not what it is, but 14 practices, a spring game, a chance to bond with all the new guys. You're you're an outsider right now.
2: Has to hurt on somewhere, even if it's not a ton. You never know how much. It's just you trust that that process is good, and then. Yeah. So I mean, Treon, you know, could potentially have a future at wide receiver. Who knows? Doesn't feel like that really kills the team, but I mean, I, to go back to the middle of the year, and then if Callaway does get booted, that you would lose potentially one of the better quarterbacks in UF history that Will had a chance to become, and then the most successful freshman wide receiver who looks like he's going to be a star for three years at least, would be just such a crushing blow to the team. That would be the worst of all scenarios. I mean, in some senses, Callaway is the best player on our team maybe the most productive, especially for being a freshman and it feels unimaginable to lose them and just so heartbreaking have to hope that that's not the case. Yeah. That you said it perfectly. That's exactly how it feels. Uh, Yeah. Well just hopefully that that will work out itself. Hopefully that, you know, the process goes well for them. I mean, don't want to hope for their reinstatement above, you know, any other kind of circumstances, but for the future of this team, that feels like a enormous, enormous thing. Um, Well, a couple of news and notes there. Took care of that. James, what are your overall feelings about the team? We've closed out spring practice, headed into the summer. How are you feeling about this team, that direction? I feel
1: good. And I'm going to base that upon the question that we posed earlier on in January. We were on the podcast. We were doing a recruiting episode, and we said... When spring practice is done, what do we need to know for for us to feel good? And my answer to that question was, I need to see that the quarterbacks can play. I need to know that Del Rio has been in the system for a year, has known Nussmeyer for years, has been with McElwain and under that tutelage with Alabama, a very similar offense, that he can play, that Appleby is competent, and that the young guys have talent. And all of those questions were answered with a resounding yes. And so that, for me, alleviates a lot of fears, the second part of that question, which we talked about, we talked about it a lot on signing day, our offensive line is a problem. I think it's still going to be a problem, and we don't have any depth, which could be a real problem. So one concern addressed, I think, significantly. The other concern is going to be there, and then that's going to be a real key. So all in all, I feel really good because the quarterback concern is the biggest one, and I feel good about where that's going. We have depth. I think we can at least be average there, and average with our defense is going to equal winning in the ICC East. So, so far where I sit here in April, assuming the world doesn't go crazy and change, you know, with regards to our personnel, like it, like it seemingly has been, I feel very positive moving into the summertime. How about you?
2: I would agree. I mean, I wanted to see a competent offense out there and I did something that was capable of big plays and getting back to a little bit of what we saw in the first part of the fall where what we were really excited about was that you didn't know what play was coming next. Were they going to pass it? Were they going to run it? Were they going to throw it? To the tight ends was it going to the wide receivers? Like a lot of misdirection, a lot of you know in a good way unknowns, and I felt like that was a little more true on Friday night. That the offense looked dangerous. It looked like it could attack you in a lot of different fronts, and you know maybe it's not going to be one of these incredibly high octane offenses that are going to put up fifty points a game, but could certainly be putting up thirty a game and winning a lot of games for us. Um, the future looked bright. Uh, so, yeah, encouraging. And the defense, you know, I, I just have to hope that they're going to be able to replace these guys. You know, lost stars on every level. Bullard, Morrison, Hargraves, Neal. That there's talent within the program. Maybe not even to, like, individually replace those guys, but that there's enough depth of talent that the overall defense will look the same. And I, I didn't see anything on Friday night that dissuaded me from that. No, and the benefit there
1: was all these guys that are coming in have experience. Yes. So we, we sort of hit the – you're hitting the transition lottery here where it's the true reload because you have guys that have already played. These They're not walking on the field for the first time with hype. They've already played. And so there should be – if there is any drop-off, it should be minimal given yeah. the talent that
2: these guys have replacing the talent that left. Everybody who's stepping into a quote-unquote new starter role played a ton of snaps last year. So from like Quincy Wilson to CeCe Jefferson and Caleb Brantley, uh, you know, Alex Anzalone may the newest guy, but, you know, played some at the beginning of last year, is a known guy around the program. But, yeah, that feels like they're going to be able to step in. There's no, like, huge gaping holes there.
1: No, and if, if Anzalone can stay healthy, this defense will will be incredible. That was what really hurt us last year. We performed really well in spite of it, is we were shallow at linebacker all year, and we could be again this year. But if he can somehow get himself healthy, we can play Davis and him out there together. There's a lot of really talented guys on that defense. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the summer schedule, which is gonna be pretty simple. We're gonna do at least one episode. If uh, if content is there, we'll do more depending on what's going on. But we'll do at least one sometime and we'll check in with you before the season starts, probably in July. And as far as guests go, a word to the show, I get this a lot, I know Alan does too. People will ask, hey, can you get this person or that person? Or what are you thinking? What we've learned as we're entering year two of the podcast is that, one, we are not allowed to get current players or current coaches under the McElwain regime. They're not allowed to do media interviews unless it is with either their hometown newspaper, and it's some sort of fluff piece. And the coaches are never allowed to do anything unless it's McElwain.
2: Very Nick Saban example of that. It is.
1: It's very controlled, and we're not taking issue with that. We're merely saying that... We would have loved to have had a couple of players do something with us here or a coach do something with us here for the spring possible episode. That's not possible. It's not going to be possible and probably not for as long as McElwain's here. So that's off the table. And then secondarily, in sort of an unfun sucker punch, ESPN does not allow any of their personalities to do podcasts. So if we were a radio show on the dial, we could get access to, you know, Tim Tebow or or um, any one of the other guys that we want, whether it be Doring or any ESPN personality you can think of, you want to hear from.
2: The Bachelor himself.
1: Right, Jesse Palmer. And these are people we've attempted to contact. We had relationships with people that knew them or we knew them. And, of course, they're like, yeah, I'm in. I want to do it. And then ESPN would say, oh, hey, sorry, you can't do it. That happened a lot last year. It was a pretty frustrating carousel. So with our talks with ESPN, we know that, hey, we're never going to be able to get them as long as they're ESPN personalities. So... That doesn't mean we're not going to have great guests. We like to put it out there so that when you're thinking of or if you're thinking of saying, hey, James and Alan, we'd love to see this particular guest, that uh, your frustration can be felt along with ours. So there are some people that we just cannot get due to their contractual obligations. But we will continue to bring people that have tremendous insight into the program, as that's obviously our goal is we only want people that can add value to your analytical uh, you know, ability to, to reason with the team or to, or to learn something new that you haven't learned about the team. And so we'll continue to do that as we move forward, having guests that illuminate different things that Alan and I can't illuminate to give you more of a 360 perspective on the team.
2: So just as the football team heads into the summer, you know, they're going to be working out and, you know, hopefully some of them gaining weight, maybe some of them losing weight, you know, a lot of practicing, you know, we're going to try to get better over the summer too. we're going to think about the podcast and where we're headed in the future. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to ask for your feedback in that process. So look out for that. So just as the football team is getting stronger, maybe we will as well. Uh, so yeah, summer's a great time to kind of chill out. And hopefully, usually if something big happens in the summer, it's not a good thing. So hopefully a good, quiet summer for the Gators uh, as they get ready for the fall.
1: That, that's what we can all hope for. And uh, as for me, I'll be watching the Baltimore Orioles pretty frequently as that's my summer tradition. And so hopefully things will go well with them. We won't hear any news out of Gainesville, Florida. And uh, we'll be back with you guys sometime in May to get some feedback. So stay tuned for that. As always, thanks for listening. We love doing the show. We love that you listen to the show. And we look forward to being with you next time.
0: When you're well-dressed, people say,
1: Nice suit.
0: When you're best dressed, they say.
1: Nice suit.
0: The JCPenney Men's Best Dressed event is happening now. Score 50% off men's select suit separate, sport coats, and dress pants from Collection by Michael Strahan, Stafford, and JFJ Ferrar. And for big and tall guys, shop Shaquille O'Neal, XLG, and more. Plus, get an extra 25% off with your JCPenney credit card and coupon. JCPenney. Offers valid nine twelve to nine eighteen. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.